Thank you, ladies, and thank you, Brother Steve. And <clears throat> as we turn to the book of Psalm 62 tonight, uh, as we're singing that heart to Herald Angels, I was thinking about last night. Last uh, every December, the pastors get together uh, for Christmas dinner with their wives, and uh, we go out to some area restaurant somewhere in Middlebury or Montpelier or on up here, and was at the Guild. And they actually, it's hard to find a room where you can be off to the side somewhere because we sing carols and uh, we have a message and uh, just have a really good time uh, for sure. And last night, I, I don't know if the people who came to the guild thought they were going to get uh, serenaded, but they did. A whole room full of people singing uh, uh, Christmas carols. It was really beautiful. It was a very beautiful time that we had together there and appreciate the fellowship uh, of the guys. Uh, for the most part, we have a good time together. We'll be hosting them in January on the 19th, and it's changed a lot. We used to get, we used to have uh, two o'clock get-togethers and uh, stick around for an evening meal. And I don't know, times have changed, and so now we get together just after lunch, or maybe we have lunch and then get together, or we get together around lunchtime, then have a, maybe a meal before everybody goes home, and so we don't stay late at night. And of course, during the winter time, it's always a little bit difficult. You never know. But uh, heard a good report from Dusty, uh, Pastor Dusty uh, Parody from uh, Innisburg Falls, and he's been going uh, Sunday nights up to uh, uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Island Pond. Uh, they don't have a pastor. They just had a, a few people up there who really don't know one end of the Bible from the other for the most part. But they have a desire to see the church reopen, and I guess uh, he said things are looking pretty good right now. Uh, just a small, how many, did you see how many he had there? I think, yeah, this last Sunday was 18. 18 with the visitors, and I think that was good. That's because uh, I mean they were down to just uh, two, three, four, five, maybe at that many, that many people up that way, and so the fellowship has invested to help them financially get through the winter heat-wise and everything. So uh, pray for Island Pond and uh, that they'll find a pastor. Well, it's hard to find somebody who's going to go that far north where it's so cold and the winters are long, and uh, your prospects of, of building a church from a human perspective. Well, Island Pond's not that big. And anybody coming to uh, to a church in Island Pond, they would have to come from over the hills and over the mountains. And uh, like uh, Christmas Carol goes, you know, dashing through the snow, and, you know, get to get there one way or another. So uh, remember them up there and be praying for Brother Parity as he passes both his own church there in Enosburg and uh, up there in uh, Enosburg as well. All right. Uh, something else I was going to say. Six o'clock Sunday night is candlelight service, so uh, hopefully you're going to plan to be here. If you can be here, and if not, uh, it'll be live streamed. I'm not sure how much you'll see because we turn the lights down low, <laughs> so the candles will all be nice and bright uh, to the end of it up here. And so, anyway, uh, Psalm 62, Jack, it's making a comeback, part six. I think what we got here, part number six, and we're going to close it out. The Lord willing tonight, we'll close out Psalm 62 and move on to Psalm 63. It's interesting to note. I didn't realize that until all of a sudden one day, is you know, when I'm working at my desk and I hear KNVBC in the background there, and I hear the music, and I hear Dr. Jack Trever coming on, or when Cooper was there, Cooper would come on, or uh, I'm trying to think who's the who's the song leader there, Carrie. Do you remember who the song leader is? Um, yeah, Alvin Martinez. He's got a beautiful tenor voice, uh, and. Uh, uh, they come on here. So after a while, you kind of get used to the voice. You don't think too much of it. And then uh, I realize he's been going through the book of Psalms. Now, he's going through it a lot quicker than I am. So and he's kind of racing through it. I was just taking a good old sweet time. I figure by the time we get to uh, to the very last Psalm, the rapture will probably occur, and we won't have to. I won't have to preach the last one. So we'll see how that goes. 
Anyway, making a comeback part, uh, part uh, six here tonight, looking at verses uh, nine through 12. It says, surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Now, we make choices every day, amen? make all kinds of choices. We make uh, choices every day of our waking lives, and while some are not earth-shattering, uh, such as... Uh, what color goes with what color? I have to check with the wife to make sure I'm somewhat color coordinated before I walk out. I, if I'm not, then I can, I can blame it on being colorblind, but uh, I, I can tell I've got pink on tonight, so I'm in good shape. <laughs> not really. <laughs> but anyway, um, the, the idea is, so, I mean, they're not, they're not necessarily earth-shattering until the wife finally looks at me and says, you're not wearing that, are you? So then it becomes a little bit like that. So anyway... Uh, or what you're going to have for breakfast, not a big deal necessarily, but some choices can be and are life-altering, such as smoking, fooling around with drugs and alcohol, being promiscuous in all other uh, areas of life. But certainly our choices concerning the level of our relationship with Christ is a choice. Uh, this is not something we just kind of sit back and, and let it happen. We have to become proactive. We have to become involved. We've got to be reading our Bible. We've got to be meditating on the things that we read. We need to be taking notes and so on and, and do all the things that we should do there. But uh, the, the, the level of our relationship with Christ is a choice. Some don't want to get too close. Some want to get extremely close. And there's a lot in between, if you would. And so the things that we love tend to get the most of our attention, don't they? So if you love to go fishing, then when Sunday comes and it's been raining all week, and you're going to say, well, you know, I'm not going to church, I'm going to go fishing. Well, then you're going to be just like Peter. When he said, uh, I can go fishing. After the Lord had uh, been crucified and had been resurrected, and he was kind of basically, we said, from Sunday throwing in the towel. But the things we love tend to get most of our attention, and the things that we deem annoying or a nuisance, well, they get pushed back into the background of our lives, so to speak. And uh, overall, life is full of choices, and some we will look back on, we will regret, and others we will look back on and say, what a blessing that decision or that choice was. So in this Psalm 62 that we have been looking at, now, remember David is writing this after his son Absalom has rebelled, and that the nation of Israel in rebellion, and David has uh, left the city with about six. 600 of his choice soldiers and uh, much of what he could uh, heading out and getting away because he didn't want, want to uh, uh, wage war and many uh, innocent lives be lost in the city of, of Jerusalem. But he's heading out, so he's writing this psalm as he's looking back on, on that and the help that God was. And uh, we were looking at it from the things that we can when we find ourselves in very difficult situations. What can we do? What steps can we take? What steps should we take when we get to those places there? So in this Psalm 62, we're lifting out a number of steps that we can take when we have become overwhelmed by life or life circumstances. Now, several of the steps thus far have been. Step number one, be sure to put things in perspective. Uh, when we look at things through our own eyes, we tend to panic. We tend to get, uh, well, maybe a little bit afraid, uh, scared, uh, if you will. And uh, when we see things through God's eyes, we say, okay, God, yeah, this is a surprise to me, but it's not a surprise to you. You knew this was going to happen. Uh, I had used the situation when I had been diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. Uh, 
I, 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 I'd, I'd been panicked. I'd be okay, God, you knew this, and we'll just see where it goes and see what happens one way or the other. And so you just kind of sit back. Now, there was things you do think that go through your mind. I'm saying like I was up in this pedestal somewhere. You know, I'm thinking, was, okay, Lord, if this is a, a progressive and has gone to a particular point there where I've only got maybe a, a year or a month or two or whatever it might be there, then my concern is obviously for my wife that she's going to find someone more handsome and more rich and uh, more money and so on and begin to actually begin to enjoy life or something along that line there. But, I mean, you know, you, you worry about those things. You worry about, okay, you know, I know the kids would be there to take care of and so on there, but uh, and when you live with someone for almost uh, well, 59 and a half years, uh, you get to know them as an individual, and you know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, and uh, you know what you should do, and uh, to be a help and to uh, augment along the way there. Uh, but we also use as, as an illustration, we use uh, uh, Numbers chapters uh, 13, 14, and 15, where Moses sent spies into the Promised Land. Twelve spies went in. Twelve spies came out. Two had a wonderful, say, hey, listen, we can do this because God's called it. God, God's going to take care of it. We can do this thing. The other ten said, no, 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 we can't. And they had a big pity party, and they cried, and they weeped, and they cried. They got all the rest of Israel weeping, and they got them all crying there. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, stop this. Pack, pack up the tents, and let's pack our lunches. We're going. We're going in. So we need to see things from God's perspective. Yeah, there were giants in the land. Yes, they were well-drained armies that were in the land in there. But God's bigger than all of that. And if God's going to give you something, God's going to give it to you. Amen? And you don't have to worry about what, uh, what op obstacles may be in the way. Uh, and so step number two is be sure to rededicate your life to God. When you find yourself in those places, go back and, and, and look on that uh, initial moment or time when you, when you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and kind of reminisce and how wonderful it felt, uh, the load that was lifted, uh, if you will. Uh, then number three, step number three was be sure to face your fears rather than run from God. And a lot of people do that. At the first sign of trouble, they close up their Bibles, they stop going to church, and they, they walk off into the wilderness somewhere of the, of the very fallen world. Uh, and, they, and they don't really draw close to God. That'd be like uh, a doctor saying, listen, I've got a cure here for your disease here. All you have to do is take it. Uh, but you're so upset because you got the disease there, you, just, you, run, you run away from medicine. You say, well, that'd be kind of stupid. And yet people do that with the Lord all the time. He is always the answer. He has always the strength that we need, regardless of the problems we're going to go through. And so step number four was to be sure to take your own advice. If you've been a, a Christian for a long time, you've been uh, reading your Bible, you've been meditating in your Bible, you've been memorizing your Bible, and you read other books on the Bible, uh, then you probably have a lot more information and good counsel in your own head than you might find elsewhere. And if someone came to you with a problem and they were asking you for advice, would you give them good advice? Would you give them biblical advice? Well, if you can give other people good advice when they're going through problems, then how about if you take your own advice and say, okay, yeah, we can do this. And then step number five is be determined to get back on top. Don't let yourself get beat down. The devil wants nothing more than to beat us into the ground. He wants to beat us over the head. You don't have the faith. You don't have the need. God doesn't love you. Poor you. Uh, if God loved you, he wouldn't let this happen. And he said, all this garbage he wants to throw in your face and, and uh, ramble around in your head up that way. But it has to be determined that this is not going to get me down. I'm going to get back on top of this thing one way or the other. And then we said step number six last week was be sure to remember that God can bring good out of bad. Amen? Uh, what the devil means for bad and what others may be may mean for, for, for evil. Uh, God can turn that around and because we certainly use Joseph as, as an example of that. Uh, in the end of uh, Genesis chapter 50, uh, he uh, told his brothers, because his brothers, now that their, their father Jacob was dead, uh, they were concerned that Joseph might uh, get, try, try to get even with them for what they had done to him when he was younger. 
And uh, of course, they came and they they wept and they cried and they begged and pleaded with uh, with Joseph not to uh, get uh, get to extract revenge on them, if you will. And he said, he, and his response was, "Am I in the place of God?" Uh, and of course, the answer to that is no. And he said, uh, "You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good." But because he was faithful, and I'm sure he had his moments, but uh, overall, he was very faithful. Uh, he didn't curse God. Uh, he didn't act indifferent and said, well, God, if you're not going to take care of me and this, this is the best I can hope for here, then why should I bother with you? Why should I bother to serve you? No, he was faithful all the way through. And guess what? Uh, God's plan for his life came to fruition, didn't it? He became second highest in all the land of Egypt. So tonight, <clears throat> we need to be sure and choose to live above our worries. That's why I said life is a choice. We need to choose to let our situations get us. Not with, with Jordan's house being, I mean, it, it, you know, if somebody was looking from the air and said, why in the world would anybody build such a big house on such a small patch of land? Because that's what it looked like. I mean, you, you see green grass around there, and it's probably about, well, not, not even as, maybe a half the size of this sanctuary around the house, and that was it. Everything else was all water-wise. And I mean, you're looking around, and there's fields of water everywhere down that way, and you can either sit there and worry about it, or simply say, what will be, will be, and God's going to take care of this. And so the only thing that, that really happened out of the whole thing was he lost part of his driveway again, which was not cheap either, by the way. But uh, uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I went to sleep well last night, figuring, okay, God, we prayed about this, we put it in your hands, and then, of course, I woke up at 5 o'clock, and guess what? <laughs> I'm saying, oh, boy. When's it going to get daylight? I want to go up there and see what's happening. What's going on up that way? And I walked in and he, all you can do is go in the house and say, you know, thank you, Lord. Thank you for such goodness. Uh, we don't deserve it. I'll deny that kind of goodness there. What was number seven? What was number seven? That is, we need to be sure and choose to live above our worries. That would be verse nine that we had looked at here tonight. Verse nine simply says, surely men of low degree are vanity, that is empty, and men of high degree are a lie. Uh, to be paid and uh, to be laid in the balance, they're altogether lighter than vanity. That, that might be uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, that uh, sinners were a basket of deplorables. I don't, know. I don't know if that would be the case or not, but anyway, uh, David here is expressing his attitude toward his enemies. They are my enemies. My God is bigger than my enemies. Therefore, I'm going to rest in God. I'm not going to let my enemies, and I use the expression here. We'll see it in just a moment. So the word vanity here means empty or emptiness. And it's the idea is that his enemies have little to no substance. There, there is nothing in and of them that would make them desirable or their plans or their motives or anything of that nature. Uh, they are self-focused, self-centered, and they were foolish. And they, they, uh, that, that would be the same of Absalom. Now, Absalom may have been very angry with his dad because, uh, because David didn't act uh, against uh, Amnon when Amnon had raped uh, Absalom's sister, uh, Tamar. Uh, and, uh, and so he had, he had an axe to grind with his dad. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. But nonetheless, he became very self-centered and foolish, and he stole the men's hearts in Israel. And when he felt the time was right, he, along with Ahithophel, who was his, who was his counselor, uh, they rebelled and uh, led this rebellion against David. But he, he was looking at them and he simply said that they're empty, there's vanity and there's emptiness there because they're not being led, they're not being led by God. They're not being directed by God. Listen, uh, people may not like the way you stand. They may not like the way God is the center of your life or the center of your home or the center of your marriage. But they are usually the individuals who have a lot of problems that they don't have any solutions to. 
Uh, they don't have any source of real strength. They don't have any real source of substance. But listen, if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he's the focus of your life, the focus of your marriage, and the focus of your family, you've got substance, amen? You've got an eternal substance that is based on the person, the relationship, and the walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they didn't have that. And David recognized that. And he said, why in the world am I going to let these empty-headed individuals control my life? Or, or, or cause me to lose my sleep, if you will. So his enemies are, are nothing to him, uh, not to be feared. Keeping an eye on them, yes, because you always want to keep an eye on your enemy. You want to know where they're going to go. And so the point is that David is determined that his enemies were not going to dominate his life and certainly not going to, uh, going to let them live in his head, so to speak. And oftentimes, if we feel like people don't like us, uh, they live in our head, don't they? They're always there, and we're snarling at them or we're unhappy with them. We don't want to be around them, but we just can't let the enemy of God live up here. There's just not enough room up there, especially in my head. Well, this is empty, so there's probably a little more room. But this is, this is where the Lord lives. This is where he belongs. He belongs in the very center of my thoughts and everything has to revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we allow Satan or our flesh, which are our two biggest enemies, by the way, to dominate our thinking, we find ourselves being consumed by them or the problem, and we find that we have spent very little time, if any, time meditating on scriptural helps and directions. Isn't that true? Yeah, worry takes us down that road where, where we don't take the time to stop and think. We're, we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to figure that out. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. we got multiple uh, thoughts going through our heads, trying to deal with all these things here, when if we just took them before the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want to do? Well, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to leave it in your ballpark. And let the Lord handle it. Don't try to take it back on you. Uh, and it's amazing. You can actually go to sleep at nighttime and you can pretty, sleep pretty well. And pretty comfortable. So think about this for a moment. The last time you allowed yourself to become overwhelmed by something that was said or something that was done, something that you heard, and you just become overwhelmed by it. There's a lot going on in the world today that should make a lot of believers feel they should be overwhelmed. Uh, I was listening, uh, Hannity's on vacation, and I think uh, Kaylee McHandy, I can never pronounce because a couple of those McHandy's, whatever it is on there. I mean, anyway, uh, she was filling in for me, and, and they showed a picture of a uh, school board in Fairfax, Virginia. Fairfax County. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where it was. And so they are, that, that's been a school board that's been a problem from who knows ever when. So they are, they have elected an LGBTQ plus one whatever to be the chairperson of the school board. They swore him in on a stack of pornographic books to his office. So she's interviewing a guy, and, and, and of course the parents, they were upset. They were you know, kind of at the school board meeting and, and uh, giving uh, Merrick Garland uh, uh, a hissy fit. Uh, it's probably human uh, uh, terrorists anyway, uh, parental terrorists in that area. <laughs> Make a long story short, uh, uh, they, were, they said they were surprised. And the, the guy that uh, Kaylee was uh, interviewing, he said, uh, I don't know why they're surprised. They could have seen the handwriting on the wall. It was right there. They knew who this was, and they didn't show up, or they didn't, they didn't get involved one way or another. And so why should they? He said, I can understand why they're mad, but surprised, I don't get it. And uh, he made a statement, which I've always stood by, and that is, listen, if your school board's going to do it that way, then pull your kids out of the public school system. Because a lot of the parents said, we don't, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to do. Homeschool. 
Put them in a Christian school. Get an extra job. You got to get an extra job. Do what you got to do. But listen, if you took those kids out of that public school system, they're all those empty-headed individuals out of there. Where are they going to get the money? They won't have a job. So, you know, uh, we, we are in a world today where there's a tremendous amount of empty-headedness that's going on in the world today. Uh, things that uh, uh, would never have transpired, things that would never have gone on and did not go on in that particular day. But uh, when, uh, when God's people stand back and don't get involved, then that, that void's going to be filled by somebody. And unfortunately, it's the empty-headed ones that get in there and they think they've got... Well, the whole point is that it's just, again, it's one more act where these empty heads are thumbing the nose at God and telling God, you're irrelevant. You don't count. You don't matter. Now, I'm not sure that all the parents that were there were, were Christians, and I'm, I'm sure there's some, probably some good teachers in there. But if I was a teacher in a public school system and I had to serve under that there, I would not be there in a heartbeat. I'd get out of there in a, as quick as I could. So, anyway, uh, David's talking about his enemies were kind of like that. They were empty-headed individuals that they, all they could see was power, wealth, and riches. And they weren't being guided and directed by God. So David was dealing with rebellion, as I said, from his son Absalom and treachery from his closest advisor, Ahithophel, and a nation in rebellion. Now, his choices were clear. Throw a pity party and pout. Or choose to talk and walk with the only source that was bigger than all his enemies combined. Walk with God. Amen. And so David chose wisely and rested in the promises and the past experiences that he had had with God and allowed God to handle them. Listen, God wants us to have experiences in this fallen world. And he wants us to experience those experiences with him, guiding us and directing us so that when we have future problems, we know exactly where to go. We know exactly what to do. And so we know that David didn't sit idly by and wring his hands. He took action, removed himself from the immediate problem so that he could regroup and get the mind and heart of God so he could act accordingly. And you can read about all that back in uh, 2 Samuel chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, and a little bit of 19 if you would. So mark it down there and, and you'll kind of figure out where Psalm 62 is coming from. So very quickly here tonight, the next one, next two, as we close out uh, Psalm 62, is be sure to prepare for victory. Uh, we, don't, we don't have the song, but it's a great song. I'm on the winning side. And uh, Dr. Curtis Hudson, when he was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer, and... Uh, he continued preaching, I think, right up until he, couldn't, he, until he couldn't preach anymore. And in a raspy voice, he would, pre, he would sing that song. And, and he'd have people whooping and hollering and just getting excited when he would sing, I'm on the winning side. He said, yes, I've got cancer and I'm going to die, but I'm on the winning side. And we have to understand some of the folks, we're on the winning side. Don't, don't worry about these little skirmishes. These little skirmishes are nothing uh, other than helping us to Learn to trust God in, in the process. But overall, um, we have to realize that we're victors. And that God may give us the victory. If he doesn't give it on this side of the rapture, he's going to give it to us on the other side. Amen? 
And so the rebellion is in full swing. Things look quite bleak. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't have God's perspective. Uh, and if one doesn't have God's perspective then uh, on one's troubles, then they will, they will, they will cave and uh, fall and faint under, under, the, under the troubles that they're facing. Now when fortunes are reversed, we must prepare ourselves for the day uh, in which we handle that victory. So, you know, some people don't handle victories very well. They get too big for their britches on the mountaintop. And then they, uh, on, on, on the way down into the valley and on the way climbing back out of that valley, all the prayer warriors and they're reading their Bibles and they're going to church and they get on the mountaintop on the other side. Victory has been there and all of a sudden they begin to leave off. I don't need to read my Bible like I used to. I don't need to pray like I used to. And I don't need to go to church like I used to and so on. And so they have that, they have that particular uh, problem. So we have to prepare that when, hey, when victory come, God's going to use me in a very unique and special way, and I need to make sure I am continually prepared on a day-to-day -day basis. So uh, it's easy to forget in the midst of jubilation that the glory really belongs to the Lord, who is the one who turned our circumstances or turned the outcome uh, to a blessing rather than defeat and destruction. He's the one who did it because you trusted him. You prayed. Now, secondly, we must learn to take the eye out of the equation and give God the glory. I get to the mountaintop, not in my own strength, not on my own, because it was my perspective. I probably would have fainted and I would have passed out and who knows what else we would have done. Uh, but people do. They just drop out altogether. They turn their backs on God and say, God can't be ever loving, loving God. If he lets me go through this, I have to deal with this or if I have to deal with that. And so we have to learn to take the eye out of the equation and give God the glory. We need to remind ourselves that a humble response is more glamorous than self-exalting pride. Never forget that being a humble Servant of the Lord is more important. And then lastly, number 10. Be sure to leave the matter in the hands of the Lord. Verses 11 and 12. God has spoken once, twice, have I heard this, that power belongeth to God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou rendered to every man, thou renderest rather, to every man according to his work. As David finishes penning this particular psalm, he does so by giving to the readers throughout the centuries two elements of comfort that we need when we're going through anything. Trouble. Number one, all power belongs to God. We're told in the New Testament not to fear them who can destroy the body. And having done all that they can, they can't do any more. Rather fear him which can destroy both body and soul, which is the Lord. And so while man may have power over us physically, once they're finished with us, God will deal with them. Now, there have been many Christians now throughout the centuries who have been martyred, burned at the stake. Some of, our, some of the greatest men of God who were champions of making sure that the word of God was translated properly, whether it was Tyndale or Haas or Knox, named just a couple of those guys. There were many more than that. Uh, I'm trying to think what his name is. It's an Italian name and I can't think of it. It begins with an S. But uh, these are men who were literally burned at the stake. Some of them were once Catholic priests who began to read the word of God and began to realize that Rome was lying. And they left. Uh, Luther was one of those who left. But uh, nonetheless, uh, there are Christians who suffered horribly, refusing to renounce their faith, refusing to deny the faith that they had come refusing to bow to Rome and the Pope that was there. So 
Jesus also says in John 15 and verse 5, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me he can do nothing. So we have to realize that if we're going to stand against the enemy, we have to do it in God's strength. Stand where God wants us to stand and know that God will equip us. But number two is also, uh, oh, I'm putting quotations here, a little parenthesis after mine because I had an afterthought on that one, is that God always wins. In the end, God always wins. God never loses. And so number two, every man will be judged of God. Every man. So every one of us shall give account of himself to God, Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, every one of us. Now he's writing that to the believers for the most part. But then we looked at, we look at um, the redeemed uh, at the judgment seat of believers in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. Uh, we're going to stand before God and give an account of the stewardship of our faith. What kind of stewards have we been? We've been entrusted with the wonderful riches of the gospel, God's grace and God's mercy. And uh, we're going to be held accountable for how we have allowed God's grace to, to work in our lives and through our lives along the way. So let's be good stewards along the way. But then the unsaved at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15 is that final judgment when the graves will give up the dead and all that have, have uh, managed to get through uh, the uh, tribulation and, and, and have been placed in a hell. Uh, those who come out the other end of the uh, millennium that haven't been saved, they have rejected Christ, uh, they're going to uh, stand before that great white throne judgment. And the Bible is very clear that and whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. They were born once physically. They're going to die uh, physically again. And uh, those of us who have been born uh, and were born again we're going to die one time possibly. But if the rapture occurs, we won't even experience that, that death at all. So anyway, that kind of wraps up Psalms uh, um, 62. As David looked back over, over his life, he looked over the circumstances there with his uh, son Absalom rebelling and his son being killed in battle and uh, all the things that he had to wrestle with. So uh, it's not like David didn't uh, experience some of the things that we have to experience in life, uh, for sure. So, all right. Got some bird time here tonight.